Welcome to the Magnificat Podcast. We are an international ministry to Catholic women. Throughout this series, we will pray together, share insights, and hear amazing testimonies, typically from women of faith who have been touched by the power of the Lord in their lives. This is a decidedly Catholic podcast, and in this series, you will hopefully learn more about the Catholic faith, God, the Blessed Mother, and much more. Thanks so much for joining us. Now let's listen to a great program. I'm double mic'd up here. Good morning. Was that not awesome worship just now? Woo! You know, Kitty said something um, that I'm going to come back to. It's all about the Father. Can you say that with me? It's, it's all about the Father. Father. Um, Lindsay had said, do you have a theme? And I said, no. <laughs> and in, in praying about it, though, in between, it just got totally, absolutely confirmed um, today, again, when Kitty said it's all about the Father, because I really feel that's what's so vitally important. You know, I want to talk about it, first of all, to start off... Uh, just kind of get a pulse of where we are. How are you doing right now? Awesome. Good, good. All right. You know, I think overall, if you ask that question, how are you doing right now? A lot of people kind of kick back. I've seen, I've seen this over and over again. Um, in particular, some of my older parishioners will come in and they'll say, you know, Father... the." Everything is just so upside down. Or the other phrase, I can't wait for 2020 to go away. Okay? And I stop and try to challenge those statements. Because when we say statements like that, we don't realize you know, what we're saying. Sometimes we don't realize that we're falling into despair which is the devil's trick, and it's subtle, subtle, subtle. Don't look for the horns and the pitchfork. Look for subtle suggestions towards despair. Think about the different things we're dealing with. Okay, you look at it uh, right now, immediately, COVID. Woo! You know, it has affected our health. We know people that have been sick from it. We hear stuff that... Could be truth, could be propaganda. We don't know what is truth fully, but nonetheless, we got to wear a mask. And with that, it can inhibit our personal freedoms. Because we feel like, okay, you know, when you're in lockdown and you can't do this and can't do that, we suddenly feel this cross and we wonder, it's like, Lord, is this cross from you? You know, or is it a man made thing? It's hard to tell, but we kind of have to just kind of roll with it. And that's a cross, COVID really affecting our personal health and freedom. Amen? Amen. Okay. Secondly, hurricanes. <laughs> I was watching, you know, the, when that, watching Zeta, Zeta come through. Uh, it looked like a bowling ball. You know when you, when you bowl a strike, it's supposed to curve like that and come, and it's coming straight towards us. And part of me was like, I would love to see the eye of a storm. 
you know, but at the same time, I realize, watch what you say, Beau Charbonnet. And I'm at, I'm at San Angelo Marisi, and, you know, and I know the path went from San Angelo straight to Slidell. It passed uh, the, to the east of Covington, where my mom is, and the rest of my family. But, but boy, as I'm, I'm watching this, I'm with, I'm with my, my procure vicar for the Dan Darmanin, who you know, all now have as of today, by the way. So enjoy Father Dan. He's a newly ordained priest, and um, he's come in to, to fill in where Father Jared Rodriguez, of course, has moved uh, to St. Luke's to take over uh, uh, St. Luke's. And let's give Father Jared again, too. You know. I think he was just sucked up into thin air. So he was needed. The glory came down, Debbie. Yes, indeed. He is now gone. Praise God. Whatever he had to do, God bless him. But you look at it, um, but Father Dan came in as parochial vicar, but Father Dan and I are sitting in the back of our house looking at the backyard, and we had electricity, and the wind is blowing. And I looked up, and I said, come on, electricity, stay on. And there was a beat for a second, and the whole house went boom, like this. (laughs) And I thought to myself, never pray to electricity. Okay? (laughs) He is the light of the world, and I forgot that for a second. And you know, at my parish right now, my office is on, my church and my school are on, my house is still dead. <laughs> so it's really making me think about it. So again, hurricanes, and you all felt it here. With, with here in Slidell, the eye came right on through. You felt it, especially in Katrina. I mean, the, the, the massive movement here in Slidell was so severe. We know the power of this. And we pray for those that have been deeply, deeply affected by it. So, health. Weather, okay? Church, okay? It's been a challenging, challenging time. The, the, the pain of scandal is so, so deep. When you see priests that have blessed us in so many ways, yet at the same time, in their weakness, there's a fall. And at the same time, that priest not reaching out for help when they're bridging that dark gap. It's a sad thing. We've all got to take responsibility for our lives. We think of those priests. We think of the victims, those directly affected. We think of the parishes, the parishes that have been defa- affected. The power of this has hit us deep. Health, weather, church. Finally, state Politically, woof, it's a hurricane out there right now, isn't it? Just a lot of stirring up. You know, fears about what's going to happen on election day, fears about what's going to happen the day after election day, all these different things. The, the tear in our country, the movement of the media that will take a story because what is the media's goal? They want you to watch. Why are you going to watch? You're going to watch good news? You're going to tune in for good news on a five, at 5.30? No. You're going to tune in for bad news because you're scared. And what they do, basically, is take a story, find a bit of conflict in it, raise it up to a new height. And when it's at that real severe height, at that point, you get pulled in. Up next, something to fear. Dun, dun, dun. Watch it. Exactly. My, my mic is popping. 
So you see, we are all hyper, hyper geared up. And the question comes back to us is the same kind of question I was faced with the other day with the storm. What do you worship? Who do you worship? Do you worship your health? Is your health your number one? And if I lose this and everything's going to be upside down, what's going on, Lord? I can't believe this COVID thing. He said, and God's saying, do you worship your health? Have you looked at a crucifix lately? Jesus took his body and he poured it out. And we're worried about death? By COVID? To a certain extent, we should be more worried about putting our lives on the line for what is right. I've got an abortion facility in New Orleans nearby. I had one here in my parish, on Ridge Lake. And every day I was faced with the reality. It's like, am I down there enough? And I kicked myself for not being down there enough at Ridge Lake. And it finally closed down after 40 years in 2015. Praise God. Okay. And I look at General Pershing. General Pershing in New Orleans, I was there two weeks ago. When you watch the sadness, the sadness of these women going in, and they walk in, and they're confused, and they're scared, and you see these escorts that are really no better than Nazis. The women are confused. The escorts don't realize what they've done, and they're really deeply confused, too. They're wounded people, but they don't realize like they can't stand. They look back at Nazi Germany, and they think that, that, that the people standing on the sidewalks are fascists. And little do they know, they're, they're doing the very thing they hate. You know, they're escorting so many women in that are utterly confused and vulnerable. And in their own confusion and vulnerability, these escorts are doing the same thing, bringing them in. And what are they escorting into? They're escorting death. And they don't realize that there's a woman in the womb. The race issue is all tied in the womb. There's more loss of... Of, against the, the, the issue of race in the womb than any other place on the planet. You know, and there's more offense against women who are being destroyed inside of the womb because 51% of the population is female, so half of them are dying, are dying in the womb. Those for women's rights and for racial rights need to be out at the abortion clinic going, this is the number one place. This is where the greatest offense is happening. It's like to look at these people and go, do you realize what you're doing escorting these women in? They're confused. They need help. They need a lot of help and a lot of love. And I'll look at this Love Life Amendment coming up. Amendment number one, vote yes, please. Or else we get a Roe v. Wade in our own hands in the state. But overall, you look at it, I think Roe v. Wade is going to fall. I'm saying the next couple of years, we're looking at a fall there. So we need to be prepared and get the word out. Do not take it for granted and think that Louisiana is somehow just going to go right on through because if everybody's thinking that, nobody votes. Nobody talks about it. So all these storms are coming in from all sides, and we're tempted at this point to go, you know, Lord, are you in charge? And he says, I am in charge. Don't forget it. He says, do you realize who you are and whose you are? Because we, we are so, so loved by God and the enemy tries to get in between the image of God and us to make us think that he doesn't. To make us think that you're just a number and that's it. You got nothing else. Because God doesn't love you. He loves a little lady who sits in the pew praying five rosaries a day. And he loves that little lady a lot. <laughs> yes. 
Or Father Basil Burns and I were walking out of St. Dominic's to sing a, a talk on the shroud. We're walking down, this little woman came up. She was probably 90 years old. And she came up. She said, she goes, Father, can I talk to you? I said, yes. He took me and Father Basil and he goes, I've got a picture of Jesus at home. He's got the crown of thorns and you see his eyes looking out like this. And it's one of those old pictures. You may have seen it. And he goes, and I pray in front of that, that picture every day for hours. And I went, wow, that's, that's awesome. Thank you. Praise God. And she kind of walked off, and Basil and I, Basil and I were walking along the neutral ground. And he goes, Bo, can I say something about that woman? I said, yeah. He goes, Satan fears that woman. <laughs> The constant, constant prayer going up from adoration chapels, from little corners of a home, little humble places like that, before the face of Jesus, is making the biggest difference. You all are the atomic bomb, okay, going off in a beautiful way. People don't realize in Hiroshima, when Hiroshima dropped, there, was a, uh, there were four priests, four Jesuit priests, there were eight houses down from ground zero. When that bomb went off, they were at a church, and in the rectory, actually, at 805. When the bomb blast hit, it went in this direction, and, of course, the whole place was decimated. We've seen pictures of Hiroshima. But these four priests, eight houses down from ground zero, all of them survived. No one talks about it. It's not out there enough, but you can look it up when you get home. Don't look it up now on your phones, please. <laughs> it's tempting. What were they doing? Exactly. They were, they were saying they were living out the message of Fatima. They were praying the rosary daily. And in doing that, when you think about the, the, the power of an atomic bomb blast going this way, boom, with that rushing sound and force, and then on top of that, a blessed mother blast coming this way, okay? A protection, a movement of grace. You realize that Our Lady, and by the grace of God, will always conquer. She steps, steps on the head of the enemy barefoot. Remember that. Not with boots, but her barefoot crushed because she is so utterly filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, the rosary on a daily basis is something I cannot recommend enough. I've got a mom here who is known as the Holy Gnat, who buzz in my ear like this. Let me say something. When I call my mother, I mean, I'm dead serious on this. I'd say three out of four times when I call her during the day, what I hear is this, that the phone picks up and I hear this, quiet, and then, one second, one second, you know, because I'm sorry, but I was in the chapel. There's a spot in St. Peter's Chapel, when you come in to the left, where she sits and puts her back against the wall, and she prays there a couple of hours a day, and she kept challenging me, because as a priest, what do we do? We, we commit to the divine office on a daily basis, daily basis. You know, if we don't do that, we have to go to confession. There's an obligation there because God needs priests and deacons and religious to commit to that to fuel the church. And 
I, mean, I was doing that, saying my mass, things like this. My rosary was sporadic. And she kept on telling me, she said, Bo, holy hour, daily. Rosary, daily. Mom. <laughs> I'm 51, okay? <laughs> like, I'm a priest, I got this. No, you don't. Remember a number of years ago, though, around 2013, I started to make that commitment to it, and then I fell away from it. From an hour before the Blessed Sacrament, rosary every day. I was doing this on a daily basis, falling away from it, daily basis, falling away from it, back and forth. And then when one of my parochial vicars came into San Angelo, Father Patrick Carr, I was touring him around the, the parish, and I showed him our chapel that we have. And he, go, he said, he said, man, I love, great chapel. I do a holy hour every single day. I said, oh, really? Yeah, all right. And in my head, I'm going, this guy is not going to outpray me. <laughs> and it was May 16th of 20, um, 2016. And at that point, I committed every day to writing down on my calendar, holy hour, divine office, you know, all the spots of the divine office, and a rosary every day. And since that time, I have not given up. <laughs> Praise God. But... I'm not saying this to, to kind of blow my own horn here. I'm saying this because the disciplines and things that we do on a daily basis make the biggest difference. And people see it. They see us praying. At the same time, the glow comes forth from it, the good fruits of it. Father Lana Rayshard right here. I was, I was absolutely blessed as a transitional deacon to spend my time with him. And I think a lot, when the archbishop assigns a deacon to a particular place, uh, he does it because he, he, he really trusts in the mentorship that will happen there. Um, he has in so many ways been such a beautiful image to me of priesthood, and in particular the fatherhood in the priesthood, because what I saw in him was such absolute love, freedom of worship, freedom to give, integrity, authenticity. And Father Rarshad, I, I utterly love you and appreciate you um, as my brother priest and mentor. But I would watch him in that chapel just come in and sit down and pray. And just to be before the Blessed Sacrament, before Jesus. You know, everyone, if you... Get in there, heard Archbishop Saint, Venerable Archbishop Fulton Sheen say that you know, even if you fall asleep, he said the, the, the first holy hour, if we think about it, the apostles all crashed out. They fell asleep. <laughs> Will you keep one hour with me? <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> and there are times, I, I got a little private chapel in my house, and I love it because I get in there and sometimes I will literally just go against the wall and just lay down in there and just be in the presence of our Lord. And sometimes I just fall asleep. But I find that either way, I'm going to get tanned. You fall asleep on the beach, you're going to get burned. Okay? You fall asleep before Jesus, you're always going to have those healing rays. You know, uh, you know it's like the, the, the rays of the sun kind of help promote vitamin D in you. And the same way the rays of Jesus, it's that vitamin D aspect in your soul. 
is a party that just changes from that regular discipline, but you've got to make a commitment to have it done. If we are not committed in our disciplines, if we don't make some commitment to Jesus in our prayer life, prayer life ends up being very sporadic. It's the kind of thing, well, I'll pray. You know, I'll see it a lot and talk with people. You know, when do you pray? Well, you know, I pray. When do you pray? Oh, all the time. Now, when do you pray? Well, I pray in the car. I pray when I brush my teeth. Okay, but is it, are you taking time to listen, or are you kind of multitasking all the time? And you see a lot of people end up doing a lot of multitasking, and I've done it, okay, that for a majority of my life. Even now I look at the majority of my priesthood. But to take that time where it's just you and the Lord, and you're listening, and you're saying, Lord, I'm taking, putting everything aside for just you, that's how we grow. And I find if you can't do an hour initially, give him 10 minutes. And after doing it for 10 minutes, you get such an affirmation of grace and an affirmation from God that you want to give him 15. And then your love grows. And it doesn't become a chore anymore because it's something you just want to do to be with him. But I know without that holy hour and ultimately without my mother pushing me, <laughs> I'd be dead as a priest. There's no way. There's no way to pull this off. We desperately need God's grace. Now, getting back to that image um, of laying on the floor, <laughs> there's an image that, that I absolutely love that hit me in seminary that I come back to constantly. And it's the image of Jesus in the back of the boat with the calming of the storm of the sea. I talk this a lot because I love the image. Jesus is in this boat. The waves are overwhelming on all sides. The apostles are freaking out. (laughs) And wave one, wave two, wave three, wave four, from all around the boat, they look at Jesus and he's asleep. And they wake him up. Say, Lord, you know, we're going to (laughs) die. We're about to perish here. Perish is the word in scripture always. Oh, we'll perish. <laughs> but he's looking back. And Jesus gets up. Of course, what does he do? He calms the sea just like this. And he looks at him. And what does he say? He says, you of little faith. faith. Right. Where's your faith? Gentlemen, I was taking a nap <laughs> in the stern of the boat. The most dangerous part because it sinks first. In this storm, I was really having a great, great nap, and you guys woke me up. Who are you? Whose are you? What are you doing? Have I not taught you anything at this point? You know, I say this like I know it all here, but I'd be the same guy on the boat going, wake up! (laughs) Like this. But but the reality is, we do this all the time, and Jesus knew where he was. Where was he? God the Father, Papa, Abba, Daddy, was holding all 12 apostles, and Jesus happened to be in the crook of his elbow, holding them all just like this, rocking them in a rainstorm. And he's got them all. And all of them are going, whoa, we're going to die. And they wake up Jesus, and Jesus goes, gentlemen, look up. Look to where you are. And they all go, oh. When we see, again, the four storms that I mentioned coming in on all sides, what do we do? We freak out. We gossip. We get angry. 
we judge. We want to take control. I'm going to feel better if I know that this person's down here and I'm standing above them. I can go with politics, the church, even the weather. We can look at God. Mother Nature, do you know what you're doing? There is no Mother Nature. It's all God. (laughs) It's all God. Does God know what he's doing? Absolutely. Did I learn a lesson from electricity coming off? I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) But all of us, you know, we've got to remember, again, who we are and whose we are, that the Father is holding us. This is an area, everyone, that I think we are weak in. I know I was weak in, and that's it, being weak in the Father specifically. We love Jesus. We love the Holy Spirit. When it comes to God the Father, He can be distant for so, so many of us. Think about that. Take a moment right now just to think about, just close your eyes for a moment. And think about what is your image of the Father. And maybe good for some of you, maybe weak. Just close your eyes. We take a moment just to pray about that. One second. Okay, open your eyes. Who heard that little baby back there? You heard that? See, look back right there real quick. That's what I'm talking about. Can you come up a little bit with the baby? Can we see your baby? See if they can see over here? Yes, indeed. Isn't that a beautiful baby? That's taking Johnny Weber's grandchild right there. But you see, great-grandchild, yes. You're older than you look, Johnny. But you see that image? That's the image right there, everyone. Illustrated. We didn't plan this beforehand. (laughs) But how many of us see this? I had uh, a situation happen to me where I received a tremendous healing in my image of the Father, and it actually looked a lot like that. I'll explain. I was at a conference for the Alpha course. We do the Alpha course. We're running Alpha now three years at St. Angela. And I had an experience that uh, tremendously moved me. They were playing What a Beautiful Name It Is. This is January of last year. And I'm at Hillsong in Arizona, the Hillsong campus. Music was off the hook. Amazing. And everyone's praising. And what happened was, like, prior to that, there was this speaker that came in, and he was talking about the orphan spirit, saying that sometimes, really, the enemy can work hard to make us feel like orphans. And what does Jesus say? He says, I no longer call you orphans. You're my friends. And that orphan spirit can make us feel like we do not have a connection. And it's an awfully dangerous, dangerous place to be because the enemy capitalizes on it like crazy. 
and exploits it and changes us. And God is calling us to more. (laughs) So here's the thing. We are... um, in this talk, and this guy gets up there, this, this British speaker, and he gets up and he says, the man's probably in his 40s. He says, he goes, I remember one day I, was, I came in and my wife had to go on a Saturday morning and it was just me and my two daughters. One is five, the other is, is three. And I picked them both up. He says, there I was, I picked them both up. I'm looking at both of them like this. I said, all right, I'm a dad. And he's saying this. And he looks at, he, he looks at him at his five-year-old, and he goes, I love you. And he said his, his girl looked back at him and said, I love you too, Daddy. And then he looked at his three-year-old, and he goes, I love you. And the three-year-old looks back and goes, I want pancakes. <laughs> he looks to us and he goes, so you know what I did? So I made her pancakes. And he said, no matter where you are in your life, whether you're saying you're, you have this pure, pure love and prayer life and you're there, or if you're, you're, your prayer is very simply, stop the hurricane, help the election, uh, my car's broken, I want pancakes. Whatever it is, the father cannot help himself but look at you and go, I love you so much, I want to give you so much. And we were sitting there, we went into praise and worship, and I'm in the back, my hands are up like this, and I am praising. And they came to the bridge of that song. You know, it was, death cannot hold you, um, the grave, what is it? I'm doing this, and in my, my mind's eye, my heart's eye, suddenly I was in, it was the weirdest thing. I was in an orphanage. And I was in an orphanage in Eastern Europe <laughs> in my head. And, the, and the, there was no light on. It was daylight coming through clouded, muddy windows. And the green paint, this awful paint from like the 50s, was peeling off the walls of this place, And I'm in this dirty, dim orphanage. And I'm in this crib, okay? And I don't get a lot of these things. This one, it hit me this time. And I'm no longer praising, but I'm reaching up out of the crib. And it was like in slow motion, God the Father was running into the orphanage. And it came to me, and picked me up. And here I am in one arm, and I'm looking over in his other arm. And his other arm is Jesus about that age. And I'm like little, and Jesus is little, and the Father is holding both of us. And as I'm looking at Jesus, I can see like the like shadows of the wounds, the crown wounds, and on his body, all these things that he would do for me. 
as a brother. And I just wept and wept and wept because that part of me, what felt that emptiness, was suddenly just made alive in a way that was astounding. I remember going back to the hotel and putting on What a Beautiful Name and listening to it again. And every time I played it, boom, boom, boom. And I just wanted to stay in that place that I felt so much love from the Father. The Father scooped me up, holding me just like this. I remember coming home and just feeling that, 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 that sense of healing. I remember talking to my sister, Elise, who just passed back in August. And I called her and said, Elise, I said, I experienced something so beautiful that all of this striving that I felt, you know, sometimes we don't feel love. What do we do? We try to, to manufacture it by getting people around us to love us. And you know what? That never works. Because we as people are fickle. God is never fickle. We'll strive to, get, to gain attention. And the whole problem with that, as long as we're focused on getting love from human beings, human beings will always fail us. Amen. You know, it's like when marriage that does not have Christ in the middle of it, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the middle of it, will end up trying to worship the spouse. And nobody wants to be worshipped. Some people initially may go, oh, well, great, you love me for everything. But eventually, like, I can't carry the burden of what you're asking me to do. And it goes from marriage, it goes into everything. Parents can worship kids, kids can worship parents, spouses can worship each other, people can worship priests, and we're not perfect. But there's no way that, that any human being can possibly meet those demands. But when we listen to what Jesus said over and over again, and what do you say? When you pray, pray like this. Our Father. The one time he said, this is how you pray, we as people are just not getting it. We're going to Jesus. We're going to the Spirit. But we're oftentimes failing to really know the Father. What did Jesus say? If you've seen, the, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's saying the love and the mercy is so close. We think good cop, bad cop. Jesus is up there going, you know, I'm the, I'm the nice one, but the Father's back there going, ho, hum, you know. I don't know, Jesus. You know, I'm not sure about that one. <laughs> or sometimes we, we play that same game with the Blessed Mother and Jesus. Like Our Lady is getting everybody through the back door, and Jesus is going, I don't know. All right, Mom. No. No. That's a misunderstanding of Marian theology. Jesus is the just judge. But everyone, you know, the source of Our Lady's Beautiful love and compassion comes from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and is consistent across the board. She's filled with the Spirit. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So in our own minds and hearts, what are we doing with Papa? Scripture I love, I come back to over and over again. I love it. Very simply this. Where Jesus says, and he's trying to get this, uh, this point across to us. Oh, my gosh, and we, we miss it so often. Jesus is funny. <laughs> we, we, we missed his humor. But he made this point with a lot of humor when he said, 
What father among you would give his child a snake when he asked for a fish or a scorpion when he asked for an egg? Okay? That was funny. <laughs> there we go. We don't hear the, 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 the group laughing. And typically it's read in, 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 in your church like, what father among you would give his child? No wonder. But he's saying, with your own kids, if they ask for three eggs, would you put three scorpions on a plate? Yes or no? No, you who would never do that. He goes, how much more does your Father in Heaven want to give you the Holy Spirit? Which means he wants to adopt you. He wants to make you his own. And adoption is like sometimes it can feel like, well, if I was adopted, I don't know what it's like to be adopted. Would it be a legal thing between me and God? I'd rather be connected directly with God, but is it kind of separated to a certain extent? No. The spirit of adoption means it, it is deeper than DNA. It is deeper than that. It's so amazingly deep what the Father has with us when, he's, when we're baptized and brought into and incorporated into his heart. It's such a huge thing, but this is where the devil's attacking. So he's, Jesus is saying, what father among you or mother among you would ever want to trick your kids? Why do you think that the father is back there trying to trick you and mess with your life and cut you from the team? Any good parent wants all their kids home and safe. And the father wants all of his kids, you, me, everybody around the world, safe and home. Why would he go through all the effort? I'm looking for a crucifix. I will take your little one down. Perfect. Why would he go for all the efforts of this to cut you from the team? That's not the point. We are called with such absolute love to not only be at home in heaven, but to taste heaven now. That is our call. And if we don't really connect with him, or we don't, first of all, we're not going to pray if we don't believe in this love. But this is the area we've got to believe and really work on our attitudes toward the Father. When you're in Mass this weekend, listen to the Mass itself. The Mass over and over again, who does it address most? Father, Son, or Holy Spirit? Father, right. God the Father of mercy through the death and resurrection of his Son. You know, we hear that over in liturgy, uh, in, in anointing the sick, in baptism, in, in, in confession, absolution, all these different things, the Father is addressed, the Father is addressed, the Father is addressed over and over again, and yet our relationship with the Father as a Catholic church is terrible overall. If you look at Protestant churches, when you walk into so many of these other great Christian churches out there, a lot of them know Papa. They pray Abba. They pray Daddy. And I know Father Rershaw prays Daddy. <laughs> He does. I picked up a lot of that from him. You know, sometimes it takes time. You get seeds planted, and overall it finally just blooms in your mind and heart. But my suggestion would be to do that. At the same time, to pray about obstacles. Father Pacey talked about forgiveness. If there are obstacles, people that have blocked your image of the Father, and it may be a dad, or it may be a mom too, or maybe a coach, a teacher, a brother, who knows? priest go in and forgive you know we bear the name father no small task the weight and the responsibility are so so great and when we fall the wound is deep but god's love is deeper and god's healing power is deeper 
And to realize the gravity of it, the great responsibility that we do have is so, so key. But we as priests have got to pray. Look at Father David Frank here, who's carrying a major load right now. God bless you, Father David Frank. Okay. It was Proker Vicar at St. Luke's, and of course, Father Jared, who's just dove into it. Um, you guys are directly there. But pray, pray for all our brother priests, those that have strayed, you know, those that are here. Keep your priests in prayer. Forgive. Forgive over and over again. Forgiveness is not based, you know, on feeling good. I want to say this. <laughs> Sometimes we think, you know, in order for me to forgive, I've got to feel better. I've got to forget. Forgive and forget. You know, forgive and forget is not in Scripture at all. <laughs> it isn't. Look for it. I challenge you. But it's very simply to say, you know, St. Peter, how many times do we forgive the Lord? Seven times? He says, no, 77 times or 70 times seven, implying an infinite number of times over and over again. Go, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive. Lord, I haven't forgotten, but you know that I can't control my memory. And he says, yes, you got it. <laughs> you can't control your memory. You can't control your emotions. Lord, I forgive, but I still feel angry. Lord, I forgive. I haven't forgotten. And he says, I know. It's all right. Just keep on forgiving. And the Our Father, what do we say? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. Who wants to get to heaven? Who's holding the grudge? Don't keep it down. I'm going to tell you this right now. That's a block. When a person comes in for confession, and we kind of get into dialogue, and I go, is there anybody that you have not forgiven? They go, oh, yes. Are you ready to forgive? Not right now. I said, well, let me, I need to tell you this. I said, if you can't forgive, this absolution is going to be like water off a duck's back. You could even lie to me and tell me you're forgiven. They get to lie too. But the absolution doesn't take unless you made a conscious choice to forgive. Well, Father, that's tough. Well, what do you think it, what do you think it is? Well, I can't forget. I'm still angry. Let's talk about that. You can keep your anger. Not that you want it, but you can keep it. It can be there, and your memory can be there. You just got to forgive everyone who has ever hurt you, or else you cannot be forgiven, and you're going to find yourself not in heaven. Do you understand what I'm saying? The gravity of this. And if you're not ready for this, then I really cannot absolve you at this time. You think about it, we as priests have got to make that judgment. If a person is not, doesn't have that resolution to change, it's a tough call. But there have been times when people haven't been ready, I'm sure, across the church. So think about that. You know, we have got to, got to be forgiving people just to will it. At the same time, to go to confession. I'm going to tell you this right now. If you are not frequenting the sacrament regularly, you are not growing. You may say, well, I haven't robbed the bank or killed anybody. That's always the two things that people think are sufficient for confession. <laughs> if that was the case, then all the people in line would be like, oh, bank robber, murderer, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> but to know our attitudes and to bring them to, conf- to the confessional and to be in that state of grace is just so absolutely key. You know, it's like if you're not in a state of grace, you are not under the protection of the Father. It's like you're, in a sense, you're outside of the corral. 
and now you are the enemy's play toy. Satan can mess with your head, mess with your life, because you're not in that state of grace. You are no longer covered, basically, in the way you need to be covered. And you're taking a very risky chance walking life like that. But getting back to the confessional, I remember like being at St. Mark and Mary and seeing two lines, two lines of confession going from 2.30 to 4 o'clock. I was a deacon at that time. I was like, I wish I could jump in there. And I love hearing confessions now. In my current parish, St. Angela, and we hear confessions Saturday from 3 to 4, Sunday from 4 to 5, and on Wednesday from 5 to 7. We have four hours solid of confession. And I love being in there. I love to see the point of conversion. When you see a person walking with a heavy burden, and that burden could be 50 years old or more. That burden could be 50 seconds old. But either way, it's a burden, and they're feeling it. It's a weight that's carried in a part of the soul that only God can reach. You can try to talk it out. You can try to counsel it out. You can rationalize it out. Drink it out, drug it out, you name it. But it won't go away. Distract yourself from it. When you go to bed, though, in that little spot between the time you put down your phone from distraction because you're so darn tired and you're getting ready to fall asleep and your conscience comes alive and goes, what are you doing? (laughs) It's at that moment that God can give you peace and rest in that. And only confession can do it. Someone said that you know, if, if the whole country went to confession, a lot of the science of psychology or psychologists working in practice would see a depletion in their clients. I think good Christian psychology is excellent, but I think every one of them should be going, have you been to confession? <laughs> you know, we really, really need that. And as priests, to reach out and make it available, to say, to tell people. I mean, I try to do this over and over again. I think my, my parents are sick of me saying it. But I say it because in our own brokenness and fle- in our own flesh, we don't want to share our sin. We want to hide it like Adam. When God says, where are you? You know, I was naked. I'm over here. <laughs> We're naked in our sin and our vulnerability. So, you know, G- the father pulls them out behind the bush in the garden. And Eve out and brings restoration in Christ. And that's desperately what we all need. But as priests, what we've got to do from our position is to get out there and go, I want to hear your confession. Francis Xavier Silo said this. He says, no matter how dark your sins are, no matter how long it's been, how short it's been, he goes, I challenge you, come to me for confession. You will not be shamed by me. And it's so true. Yosilo said, be a lion in the pulpit and a lamb in the confessional. That's exactly it. People come in utterly vulnerable and they go, I don't want to tell this to anybody. I haven't told my best friend, my spouse, etc. Here it is. You know, and when a priest has told them prior to, look, I've heard it all. You're not going to burn my ears. A Catholic priest heard worse things than anybody else in the entire room. (laughs) So bring it. Bring it on and let God do the work. It's God's job to heal. You know, he's a, we're instruments as priests of mercy and healing. But if we're ignoring the confessional, then reality is we will not change. You cannot forgive unless you know forgiveness. You can't give what you don't have. If you don't mer- know mercy, you're not going to give it. Like someone said, you know, <laughs> when there's unforgiveness, there's a prisoner involved. And we think, I've locked them up tight. They're never going to hurt me again. 
In reality is the prisoner is you and me. And we're in the cage going, how did I get here? And Satan sits back and goes, I don't know. So everyone, know the Father's love. It's all about the Father. Abba, Papa, God. God bless you. So interesting that the Holy Spirit interrupted our song when we were saying what a beautiful name. So we say we do it again and we finish it. Number six on your sheet. so much for listening to this Magnificat podcast. Have you been touched by our time together? If so, for more information or to find a Magnificat chapter near you, go to our website at magnificat-ministry.org or visit us on social media. We would love to hear from you. You can also email us at magnificatcst at aol.com or call 504-828-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Until the next time, may God bless you.